All right, well, we've come to the ninth commandment this morning. Just two left. And we'll read that in a moment. I'd like to read uh, from Proverbs chapter 30. One verse there, uh, and then back to Exodus chapter 20 and read the ninth commandment. Proverbs 30. I'm going to read actually the version here from the ESV. Um, Proverbs 30, verse 5. Hear God's holy word. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And then back to Exodus 20, verse 16. We've come to this. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Mark Twain once wrote, A man is never more truthful than when he acknowledges himself a liar. I saw a, a TED Talk, for some of you who may know who that, what that is, uh, a while back about lying, and the, the presenter presented research that suggested the average person lies one to two times a day. Um, exactly how they how they did their research but then they they suggested that each person is lied to uh, 10 to 200 times a day uh, and that span gives some um, idea of how how difficult maybe that is to to estimate but but the the takeaway simply for me is that lying is sadly common part of life um, individually and and uh, on a broader scale as well on one of the spectrum we have uh, what we call white lies, maybe lies that we uh, tell that um, are supposedly harmless and are to benefit someone else, to you know keep them from feeling bad about something. Uh, lies we tell maybe just to make things smoother and, and easier for our lives. Um, uh, Reader's Digest recently had uh, a collection of things parents uh, told their children or admitted to telling their children. So one, one lady said she tells her daughter, when the ice cream truck's music is on, it means they're all out of ice cream. Um, and then another parent admitted she tells her son, I have an app that tells me whether you brushed your teeth or not. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, sort of, uh, are lies that would destroy lives, destroy reputations. Uh, this past week, uh, Fox News uh, quite visibly, had to settle a defamation case for almost $800 million uh, for lies they knowingly promoted about uh, election fraud and that kind of thing. It's the, this is the definition of lying, is saying something that, that you knew was not true, which is what that case centered around. Um, but thankfully, even in our lie-saturated environment, um, the law caught up with that. Um, so we, we have all of these different kinds of laws and, and or lies and on a spectrum. We've talked about the principle in talking about the Ten Commandments uh, many times that each of the commands lists a sort of culminating or particularly grievous sin in the whole category of uh, or, or progression uh, of, of sins. And here, what's envisioned in the way the Ninth Commandment is stated in, in Exodus chapter 20 uh, is a courtroom setting. Uh, someone is on trial. They've been accused of something. Um, this is still true today, but even more so in the ancient world because they didn't have in courtroom settings the protections that we have today, like 
forensic evidence and you know, skilled uh, defense lawyers and uh, jury trial and right of appeal and, and all of that. Um, it was true that, that much hung on the testimony of a witness. Uh, could be that everything hung on the testimony of a witness. A witness had the power with a false testimony against someone who was falsely accused to, to destroy their reputation. And uh, likely what maybe is in mind uh, in the ancient world, if something was actually in, in a formal trial, uh, many of the penalties would, would carry uh, the death penalty. Uh, it would be capital crimes. And so um, a false witness could very well have that person's life in their hands. A formal lie in a judicial setting that destroyed justice and destroyed your neighbor uh, is a highest example of this category of sin in the ninth commandment. But, but broadly, the command covers much more than simply honesty in a courtroom. Although considering that, that setting, and this is consistent with how the ninth commandment has been interpreted really in, in church history as well, um, broadly, certainly it concerns justice in, in a system of justice, right, in, in a legal system. Uh, how valuable are judges and juries and witnesses that speak and act in truth, right, without self-interest or, or corruption? Um, we often simply assume that that's not the case. There, there are many protections in our legal system uh, that are simply assuming that, that lies will often be told. You know, lawyers have come to... Uh, proverbially be professional liars. Not that they all are, of course, but, but proverbially, that's, that's uh, how they're often seen. Um, you know, years ago, Jim Carrey did a whole movie premised on a, a lawyer who could not tell a lie, right? That was the joke. Um, and it's produced, of course, that, that proverbial um, sense has produced many other jokes. There's, what, is, what do you call 500 lawyers at the bottom of the sea? That's a good start. Right, that's the answer. Or 50 lawyers up to their necks in cement. It's not enough cement, right? Um, those are terrible, mean jokes in one sense, but they land because of the reputation of just one segment of our justice system, right? Lack of honesty in it. Uh, but certainly the Ninth Commandment uh, forbids all deception, right? Not just in a courtroom, not just in this, this highest example here. It commands truth in all of life. Um, not just those formal lies that, that might end up destroying an innocent person's life. And there are so many ways to lie and deceive, and, and we could list many of these and, and try to categorize them. Um, and, and we're not going to do a lot of that this, this morning. But I want to consider this command more, more broadly in what it addresses. Uh, we could restate uh, the ninth commandment uh, broadly in this way. Uh, do no harm to your neighbor in what you say. Right? Do no harm to your neighbor in what you say. Is that not the basic principle in, in the ninth commandment? Uh, surely the courtroom situation here is, again, a highest and a worst uh, outworking of that, of the harm that you could do in what you say. Uh, but there are many ways to do that. So, so let's think um, negatively and then positively about what, what the ninth commandment calls us to. Um, Looking at letter A on your outline there in the, in the first point, uh, it forbids harm to others in what you say. And that, that certainly covers all kinds of untruths that we say toward or about other people. And we're very good at doing that, whether that's just making something up entirely 
Uh, more often, it's uh, exaggerating what we say about someone else, uh, twisting their words or maybe leaving out context. Um, sometimes we lie and we think that we're, we're not hurting anyone else, right? We lie to, often to protect ourselves, right, or to avoid consequences. Well, often those lies pervert justice and they leave other people to deal with things, to deal with consequences that we ought to. Again, we could give all kinds of examples and categories of this. I want you just to consider what, what James, James chapter 3, says about the destructive power of the tongue. I'll read several verses here. He says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And he concludes, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And certainly much of the poison that James would have in mind there, the damage that the tongue could do, uh, involves telling lies, uh, exaggerations, deceptions. But I think we do well to consider that the ninth commandment uh, is not just concerned with telling lies, right? If, it, if, it, if the basic principle is harming others in what you say, well, you can often do that with the truth. The ninth commandment would call us away from harming others even with the truth. I think a significant example of that that the Bible brings forward in connection with this command that we would do well to dwell on is gossip. For example, Paul lists gossip in, in 2 Corinthians along with jealousy and slander. Uh, generally, what we mean by gossip is, is a statement that is true, uh, that's true. Uh, but it's a statement that's out of place. It's spoken inappropriately to the wrong person, the wrong place, uh, for the wrong reasons. Uh, one definition of gossip is this, talking about people in a way that damages their reputation with others. Uh, gossip is inherently destructive. It's divisive. And sadly, it's, it's very common. Um, that person that you're sharing information with that you shouldn't be sharing, um, the person you're sharing information about, they have no opportunity to um, be understood or to give context. They're, they're sort of tried and convicted in the space of your conversation without defense. Um, even though the statement may be true. Uh, William Blake, the, the poet, uh, in, a, in a long poem, includes this line, uh, a truth that's told with bad intent beats all the lies you can invent, uh, reflecting the fact that sometimes we can do more damage with the truth uh, spoken out of place uh, than, than with lies. We need, even in the church, I think, to be more careful with, with uh, gossip. It's one of the ways we break God's good law of love for our neighbor, 
Uh, and often, even without thinking, even just easily justifying it to ourselves, of, often gossip is introduced with sort of self-justifying phrases like, well, I just thought you should be aware. You know, or, have you heard about so-and-so? We, sh- we, we should be praying for them. And sometimes what follows is, is gossip. There are significant reasons that gossip is so tempting to, to do, to speak. It, people love to listen to it. Right? It gets easy attention. Uh, Kevin DeYoung has this comment on the Ninth Commandment in connection with gossip. He says, it's easy to make an intimate relational connection over secrets. People love secrets. He says, there's no faster way to make a friend than to find a mutual enemy. Find a mutual thing or person to complain about. Uh, We ought to ask ourselves questions when we're considering talking about someone else um, in in conversation. First of all, we should always ask, is what I'm about to say true? But again, that doesn't preclude its being wrong or, or damaging. We should go on to ask, if it's true, does this need to be said in this conversation and to this person? Does it need to be said? And then we should go on to ask, would I say this if this person were standing right here next to me? I think asking those questions of ourselves would, would probably close our mouths from, from many things that we've said. You can think of the flip side of this, the fact that relative to gossip, it's, it's equally wrong to receive it, to hear it willingly. Again, it's tempting to listen. Listen, gossip is delicious, right? It's that, that's not just a social observation. That's the Bible's description. Uh, Proverbs eighteen verse eight says, "The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels." Delicious morsels. So, what is what is our duty uh, if we're hearing gossip? I think our duty is to refuse to listen. Uh, the the ninth commandment calls us not to speak of others to damage their reputations in that way. We ought not to entertain it uh, on the other end. And that's a hard, potentially awkward thing to do, but, but I think we're called to love our neighbor not only in what we say, but in what we listen to. When, when is the last time you said, you know, I'm not sure we know all the facts, and this is probably not something we should be talking about. Right? Or, or this is sounding like gossip, and I, I'm, I'm just not okay with listening to it. I don't want to know this. Um, something to consider. Think about the positive side of this command, uh, understood broadly. Look, looking at letter B on your outline, what, what, is the, what is the ought? What are we called to uh, by the ninth commandment? Well, the, the other side of that coin is that it requires promoting and protecting the reputations of others in what we say. It calls us to look for opportunities to speak well of others, to build them up, right? Of course, uh, appropriately, uh, not just in flattery. Uh, by the way, what's the difference between flattery and gossip? I heard one, one person put it this way. Gossip is something you say behind someone's back that you wouldn't say to their face. And flattery is something you say to someone's face that you wouldn't say behind their back because it's not true. And you use both things. We use both things for our own benefit, right? We are using other people for their attention. Um, the ninth commandment calls us to protect our neighbor in what we say, not just avoiding lies or just avoiding um, 
the truth when it's inappropriate, but, but thinking and speaking well of others as, as far as we're able. That doesn't preclude critical thinking and recognizing uh, when others are wrong and, and even addressing that sometimes in love when it's needed. But we're called to think the best of others. Uh, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love, he says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Is Paul a moral relativist? He's just saying, believe everything. Uh, no, he's, he's speaking to the attitude of love, the, the believer's attitude towards others, thinking the best of others uh, as far as you're able. Uh, sometimes the truth needs to be spoken, uh, and, and it doesn't, and, and um, we don't want to hear it, and it's hard. Uh, Ephesians 4, we read from earlier, Paul speaks to speaking the truth in love. Uh, that's how the truth must be spoken, in love. I think it's worth reflecting on the fact that although there are those cases where the truth has to be spoken and it's difficult and people don't want to hear it, um, the phrases like brutal honesty and tough love, those are not biblical phrases. <laughs> and we ought to be careful uh, with those kind of things in application. Uh, so be careful in how we speak of others. Be slow to receive a bad report. Be sympathetic. Be patient in the way we speak about others and to others. A look at number two on your outline, uh, the why of the ninth commandment. There are hundreds of verses in the Bible uh, that, that deal with falsehoods or lies or truth. Uh, it's one of the commands that's committed, uh, repeated the most in various ways, one that we're called so many times in so many ways to think carefully about. Why is that? Why, why is there so much concern for truth? And for falsehood. Well, maybe the first and, and yet crucial answer, as with the other commands, is that it reflects the character of God himself. You and I are, are the image of God. You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus to be renewed in who God created you to be. You're to be striving like your, to be like your heavenly father, to be like your, your elder brother and king, Jesus. And truth is one thing that's attributed to God over and over again. Absolute and reliable truth. Here, here's just a small sampling of uh, how the scriptures do that. In Isaiah 65, God is called the God of truth. He is the God of truth. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. Uh, God is not a man that he should lie. Uh, Proverbs 30, we read earlier, every word of God proves true. Hebrews 6, verse 18, makes it even clearer. It is impossible for God to lie. It's not possible for God to lie. Uh, Titus 1, verse 2, speaks of God who never lies. The same is attributed to the Son of God, to, to the Lord Jesus. John 1, 14 says he came full of grace and truth, full of truth. Isaiah 53, verse 9, there was no deceit in his mouth. Uh, John 14, verse 6, familiarly, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 18, verse 37, Jesus is on trial before Pilate. And uh, he says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Jesus describes that as his purpose. And he says, next, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. 
Likewise, the Holy Spirit in 1 John 4, 6 is called the Spirit of Truth. So your word, your words, everything that you say uh, is to be a reflection of the God of truth who cannot lie, who's absolutely dependable in everything that he says. Uh, By contrast, the Bible describes the devil as the deceiver of the whole world. Uh, He's the deceiver. That's what he does. That's Revelation 12. And here's a point then I want you to wrestle with, that every time you speak, Every time you say something, you either represent, you either side with your heavenly father, the the God of truth, uh, or you side with the father of lies. Uh, Even the slightest exaggerations and mischaracterizations in everything you say. That's essentially the point Jesus makes speaking to some of the Jews who would not believe him, who were misleading others uh, in John 8 verse 44 he says you belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him and he says when he lies he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies whose language are we speaking Uh, everything you say and often i would suggest things that you do Um, either reflects the lordship of Christ or it sides with the devil. Uh, Jesus in in Matthew 5 tells his disciples, uh, stop taking oaths. Uh, Stop taking oaths. They they, they had, and he he describes sort of their system of oath-taking, less serious promises and more serious. You know, if you had a, a fairly significant thing, you might swear by your head. And if it was more important, you might swear by the world. And if it was really important, you swear by God's name. Jesus says this system is ridiculous, by which you uh, are, can be less serious by swearing for less, by, by less serious things and more serious. It, it's sort of a tiered system of honesty. That's where Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Uh, there may be questions of lying or truth-telling that seem picky or minor uh, to, to try to sort out. Uh, again, there are supposed uh, white lies you know, supposedly innocent little lies we tell just to make relationships easier, make people not feel bad. But there are no lies that don't matter. Uh, the character of God in you is at stake. He, he is absolutely dependable in everything that he says. Absolutely faithful. He always means exactly and fully what he says. Here's one way the ninth commandment relates to the third commandment. You, you always bear the name of God in you if you belong to him you represent his name in everything that you say again we couldn't couldn't possibly cover uh, all the applications of this but think of just a few you know perhaps we shouldn't be the sort of people uh, sort of in line with the sermon on the mountain who say i swear i swear it's true right or well to be perfectly honest (laughs) what is that what do those things maybe say about the rest of the things that we say. How about when you tell someone, I'll pray for you? I'll pray for you. Good thing to say. It's a serious commitment, but it's a very easy thing to say. Um, something that's said regularly. Are you saying that representing the God of absolute commitment to follow through? Uh, we have to be careful in the kinds of 
uh, of news or tweets or whatever sources of information that we uh, hear and believe and, and then especially pass on. Um, it, it's interesting to note that on, on Twitter, for example, if something uh, inaccurate is reported and it's retweeted tens of thousands of times, uh, maybe later uh, it's discovered it was inaccurate and so there's a correction retweeted uh, and, and that gets the attention of you know, several hundred retweets. It's, it's less interesting. Uh, I, I've been forwarded many urgent, alarming emails from well-meaning Christian friends, you know, calling for some urgent action or prayer or something because of some crisis or a law that's about to be passed, and they're all lies. They're all made up. We need to be careful about what we hear and what we pass on. Uh, we're called to radical and total honesty and truth in, in representing the God of truth, uh, in loving our neighbor with the truth, uh, as God does with us. Well, look at number three on your outline, then. I noted the ninth commandment gives one of the one of the greatest ways you could harm someone else in what you say, ruining someone's life in in court, um, telling a, mil, a malicious lie, uh, but you can also destroy yourself with lies. Uh, the Bible speaks to a most dangerous lie that you can tell yourself. Uh, two lies actually, or two different ways to tell it, but these are addressed in in First uh, John particularly. First John chapter one verse eight. John says, if we, have, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Well, as John say, the, maybe the greatest lie we tell ourselves is, is that I'm a good person. Right? I don't have sin. The other sort of version or the other side of that is in 1 John chapter 1 and 2. In 1 John 1, 6, John says, if we say we have fellowship with him, with Jesus. While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we're a good person, if we say we're good with God, and it's not, and, and, and um, well, the, the first is absolutely true, the second may not be true. We, we may be deceiving ourselves. First John 2 4, he restates that again. Whoever says, I know him, God, but does not keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Our, our confession as believers, crucially, is that we are sinners. Uh, we are liars. We're so depraved, we can only be right with God by the death and resurrection of Jesus, by God's grace to us. Um, you know, most of the world will readily admit in, in surveys, interestingly, even if not fully admit, that they're liars, that they tell lies regularly. Uh, we Christians especially are those who acknowledge our, our failure in this area. That's not to take it lightly to say that, oh, well, everybody does it, so it doesn't matter that much. It's, it's to acknowledge that we're depraved and twisted and, and desperately in need of God's grace. And you believers, you are those who are, your, your identity is in Christ. You have been freed to tell the truth. You've been freed to tell the truth about yourself. Nothing to hide. You, you never need to inflate your reputation or, or lie to avoid shame or to put others down to build yourself up. Right? There's nothing you can say or do to make you any more than you are by grace in Christ already. There's nothing you have said or done that can separate you from the love of God and his promises. You don't have to lie to yourself or, or pretend to be anything to anyone else. 
Christ has freed you uh, for the truth. That leads us to, uh, fourthly, uh, the greatest truth. And here I want to consider standing for the truth, uh, the truth of God, and the very idea of truth. Uh, In a world that hates the truth, uh, there are always temptations to be ashamed of it, to be embarrassed by the truth, to just rather avoid you know, those uncomfortable situations with people who might think you're crazy or bigoted or stupid, um, to avoid the pain or awkwardness of, of, you know, a friendship that might not be the same after, um, you know, I answer this question truthfully or, or whatever. Um, you, you can often feel uh, intensely just how crazy biblical truth comes across to the modern secular people. You know, at, at best, it probably sounds archaic and uneducated, Uh, At worst, uh, maybe barbaric and and insane. (laughs) But you are those who know the truth. You're privileged to know the God of truth, to know the King who is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, You're privileged to have his absolute protection and love and promises and be part of his family as you stand for the truth. Uh, You're privileged to be his witnesses to the truth. Uh, And that's his call to each one of us. Uh, We have the the negative side, Jesus' warning in Mark chapter 8, for example, whoever is ashamed of me, Jesus says, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. There are many ways, many times, many temptations to shrink back from the truth, to maybe just keep quiet, or even just to deny it in embarrassment. But surely the greatest shame would be to stand before Jesus on the last great day and and answer for uh, putting the opinions and and threats and so on of of mere people ahead of him and ahead of his faithfulness and truth uh, and warnings and blessings. There's a crucial and urgent need for believers who know the truth to stand firmly in it to stand on it. The Bible speaks of standing for the truth as if, as if standing on a spot and not moving from it. Uh, that, that spot being the gospel, perhaps, or the reality of sin, or standing on the, the truth that is the authority of God's word, or God's design for the family and for marriage and gender. Uh, Christianity, for many today, has sadly shunned uh, and... and um, belittled the the importance of truth, the place of truth. Um, What is important, uh, sadly, in in some circles, uh, is is doing something, right? Just just do something. That's that's what's important in in, uh, many Christian circles. You know, be nice, volunteer, do good things, be a good person. And of course, uh, we ought to. Those are good things, but, but divorced from the truth, the very definition of those good things is, is muddy, uh, and we lose the gospel. Uh, some of you know who Al Mohler is. Al Mohler um, is president of Southern Seminary, a large and influential conservative seminary. He um, became president of Southern when he was 32 years old and was hired to uh, steer Southern back to biblical truth. It had been taking a a dive, uh, a liberal dive away from standing for the truth. 
uh, for many years. And his, his inaugural address uh, at the beginning of that process, uh, the title of it turns a familiar phrase on, it, on its head uh, to emphasize this need to stand for the truth, not just to do something. Here, the title of his address was, don't just do something, stand there. Don't just do something, stand there, which I think is clever and, and very needed. Here's how the scriptures call us to this. First Peter chapter 5, verse 12, I have written to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. First Thessalonians 2.15, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. Paul in Ephesians 6, therefore take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Uh, in John chapter 8, uh, again Paul, uh, John, uh, Jesus says there, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. He lives the opposite of what we're called to. And Jesus told his disciples to be prepared to stand as witnesses for the truth. In Mark 13, he said, Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. So you do and you will have those opportunities Jesus speaks of to stand. For the truth, maybe not before governors and kings, uh, but neighbors and co-workers and family members, maybe before judges, politicians, who knows, to stand as a witness to Jesus. Uh, let's be ready for those opportunities, not miss those opportunities. Don't be ashamed, but stand for the truth. And Jesus will honor you in that. He will protect you. He promised to his disciples uh, the words to speak. When that opportunity comes, uh, you know the truth. You know how all of history plays out, that, that truth will win out and last. Um, you know, as the Bible says, that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. There's no getting away from that. Um, Winston Churchill once reflected, not in, in speaking in a religious way, but reflected that truth uh, in saying in a famous speech, the truth is incontrovertible. Malice may attack it, ignorance may deride it, but in the end, there it is. And that's, that's our confidence as believers. The truth of the gospel of Jesus, that he is king and savior, that he died for sinners, that he rose again, uh, conquered death for his people, that he's coming again to judge those who are not in him. No matter how that truth is, is derided or ignored or trampled on, in the end, there it is. All right, so let's stand for the truth. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for this opportunity again to uh, study your word this morning. We thank you for your word and that it is true, uh, absolutely uh, true and dependable, that that reflects who you are. Uh, to us. And so we pray this morning that you would help us to reflect you in that uh, more and more, that we would uh, be those who tell the truth uh, in what we say and how we live uh, and those who stand for your truth. Uh, give us wisdom and courage to do that, we pray in Christ's name.
uh, and for his sake. Amen.